Welcome to this week's Eccentric Minute, brought to you by Eccentric. This week's Eccentric Minute was also influenced by Chris Corfus' presentation at the seminar, and that's the two-to-one brake squat. Similar to the brake squat, you want to make sure that the strap is long enough for you to get full extension all the way up in your toes. From there, give the wheel a spin and sink into the squat. When the tension is set, drive up as hard as you can to full extension. Pick up one of your feet and try to stop the strap as fast as you can without letting your heel hit the ground. Spin the wheel, try with the other leg. This is a great exercise that has awesome carryover to how you stop in your change of direction and agility work, and one that athletes will 100% see the correlation between how they move and the exercise. Give this one a try. I'm sure it's one that not only you'll love, but your athletes will enjoy as well. I really hope you enjoyed this week's Eccentric Minute. Make sure you check them out at eccentric.com to find out everything you need about the K-Box and the K-Pulley. Being a strength and conditioning professional requires constant pursuit of better knowledge, better methods, and better means. But what if there was a place where strength and conditioning coaches could learn from some of the most innovative practitioners in the world, such as Jeff Moyer, Lachlan Wilmot, William Wayland, James the Thinker Smith, and Kirwenham Flat? Well, you could find multiple lectures from each of these top-level coaches and a few lectures and examples from yours truly as well, all in the Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is going to bring you well over a hundred different lectures from some of the top practitioners in the world to be your one-stop shop for your continuing education and professional development. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. That's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash C-V-A-S-P-S to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Rick, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Yeah, sure thing, Jay. Excited to be on. Yeah, man. Well, listen, for the quarter of a human being who doesn't know where you are and how you got down there, let's give everybody the quick little rundown of, you know, who is Rick? Where are you at? How'd you get down there to, to South Carolina? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, grew up in Rochester, New York, uh, hailing from the same high school as Jay DeMeo, Fairport High School. Um, so played all the sports growing up, football, baseball, basketball, uh, probably football and baseball are my, my biggest loves. Kind of my foray into strength conditioning, uh, probably not dissimilar to a lot of people getting in the field of injuries, injuries early on. So by the time I left high school, I had had four surgeries already. Um, so luckily there were still a few schools that were interested in me, even though I was, uh, damaged goods by that point. Um, so Went to Colgate uh, to play football, uh, ended up having a couple more surgeries by my sophomore year. I was medically DQ'd, um, so unfortunate, but it did open an early door for me in terms of strength and conditioning career. So my final two and a half years there, I spent as a student assistant, uh, and I believe it's my junior year, Rusty Bernie came in as a director, really introduced me to some new things and kind of reinvigorated my passion for it. Uh, and by my senior year, I was I was running some, uh, I wasn't programming, but I was running sessions and that for some of the teams. So uh, from there, uh, I sent out a letter to, I think, every Division One school in the country. Uh, luckily, Clemson replied, and I, I started volunteering there back in the summer of 06 uh, with mainly football. That uh, translated into a GA position eventually, and then a system position and assistant director 
then uh, director of Olympic sports. So this is where my career has been atypical is that uh, largely I've been in one location uh, for about 15, 16 years now. So um, certainly blessed to be in the position that I am and been, been fortunate for these opportunities to arise. But at, at the same point, it was just being very process oriented and, and kind of nose to the grindstone and working and not worrying about trying to get here or be in this position by this age. And, and I was, I was lucky and fortunate for things to open up for me. Well, and I think there's something to be said about the longevity in the one institution as well. Yeah, definitely. You know, I will say, I think for every up and coming strength coach, uh, you have to spend three to four years in at least one destination where you can start to develop some of your schemas and models on long-term athlete development. If you're always bouncing every year or two, you never see an entire class through, it's hard for you to really develop some of these thoughts and processes of your own. Yeah, because if it's every just year or two, then you don't see what, you know, the length of the program can do and what and how you need to evolve and, and change in order to develop a model that is more of a long-term, granted four years isn't necessarily long-term, but more of a long-term model. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think it's, uh, you know, obviously early on people have to move around to get new opportunities, but at some point you want to see that through and really start to develop your own systems and processes. Yeah. And I think that bringing those processes and systems together we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the work you're doing down there with baseball and the, the program that you've built. So let's talk about kind of the long game with that, right? Like how all this started and then how these focals, focal points changed in order to make this more of a longer term development model. Yeah, a really good question. I think, I think all of us that have, that have been in one institution for any significant period of time, uh, kind of your, your, uh, moments that really influence your your thought process and systems are often failures right uh so really the the deciding kind of things that push the needle and development of of our model is some guys that maybe didn't develop or the transfer from the physical to the specific on the field wasn't there like we had envisioned or thought it would be and ultimately those are the examples that really kind of refined uh the evolution of the model so you know, for baseball, it's, you know, like I can remember a few years back having some some pitchers that were really strong, but we didn't see the corresponding increase in velocity and things like that. So that's when I really had to take a step back and see what are we not doing? What do we need to do a better job of? Why is this not transferring? And those those are kind of the um, the influential moments that help develop the model. So over the last two years, I think we've really kind of honed in with what it looks like for us. So I think the most important thing of any general physical long-term athlete model working in a collegiate setting is it has to be aligned with what's the recruiting philosophy and game model of the coach, right? So for baseball, for us, we like to recruit athletes who are maybe at a little bit of a younger biological age. So maybe still developing, don't have a lot of weight room experience. So you're a tall, skinny guy, right? That's pretty athletic. So not a lot of weight room experience. So that kind of forms the foundation for how I build our model from the physical preparation end is I'm going to get skinny guys in a lot who are multi-sport athletes, uh, don't have a ton of weight room experience, but have a really high ceiling 
in terms of their physical development. So it's almost like a standard bell curve. We have that standard deviation in each direction, that middle 68, 70% are our skinny athletic guys, right? That early on just need to go through some relative strength work, some hypertrophy work, and that will transfer well to the game. So that's kind of our middle standard deviation each side, okay? Then our outliers generally fall into one of two areas, either a technical outlier, so somebody's highly skilled and has high output on the field, despite being poor from a physical preparation standpoint. And you also have your physical outliers. So somebody who maybe has been in the weight room uh, for a long time at a young age, and maybe their, their physical and KPIs in the weight room don't necessarily translate as well um, as we'd like. So generally, so how the program evolves, guys come in, we take them through a battery of different assessments, um, usually by the end of the fall, the other de determining factor is our player development assessment. So this is something I work on with our technical coaches. Uh, so for position guys, we have eight different areas for pitchers. We have seven. So for position guys, trying to remember everything it's, uh, offensive output, offensive skill, defensive agility, uh, mental game, speed, and so forth, eight different areas where we look at each player and we say, what is their potential and where are they currently at? Okay, so that helps me in terms of understanding where are we gonna invest stress, okay, and time into this baseball player to create adaptation, right? So for most guys, we're recruiting skill and athleticism and we're trying to work on the offensive output, right? So that comes from guys getting bigger and stronger. So that formed, and the same thing on the pitching end, okay? Generally, guys that are pretty athletic, lean, tall, okay, and we project higher velocity as they develop. So, our develop our ground zero block is learning all of our movements, movement competency, building work capacity, setting technical foundation, and then our developmental one block is where we're really pushing relative strength and we're pushing muscle cross-sectional area or hypertrophy. So, because we know. 9.5 times out of 10 for these guys, that's going to transfer to the KPIs we want on the field, right? So that's where our developmental one block is. Developmental two, okay, that's where we, we start to see diminishing returns from general strength work, from relative strength work. Uh, so maybe we're more power emphasis, we're speed strength emphasis. Okay? And also at this kind of junction or crossroads is where those development assessments are really important in understanding, okay, what do we need from each guy, right? And what is their, what is their makeup from a coactive standpoint as well, okay? So we think of the tactical, the technical, the physical and mental, okay? So for each guy, it'll be different, right? Is for one pitcher, he may rely on the physical a lot. He throws 98, he doesn't have the best command, okay? He relies on the physical. Another guy may be a great competitor. All those things go into it but they become more of a factor later on as we get into our developmental two and then eventually our advance. So to circle back, our outliers, if we have a physical outlier, right? Uh, somebody who has a lot of weight room experience, he's gonna breeze through the developmental one program usually. Okay? And usually that's somebody that needs to get an emphasis on power and speed, speed strength earlier. He'll work into developmental two block, okay? Now a technical outlier, uh, I'll give you an example. We had a guy four years ago as a freshman. He was a national player of the year. First time on the field, national player as a freshman. He was one of the five weakest guys in the weight room. Okay? So had a ton of power, 
huge output on the field, but he didn't need to create it from weight room strength. So he worked through our developmental one block quickly, but for a much different reason. He had to become a better athlete defensively. So we were focusing on other things and moved him through developmental two. So long story short, Jay, is it has our models highly agile and transfer to sports, the most important thing. At the end of the day, the models a means to the end, which is sport performance. Uh, and it's really, it's, it's several iterations in and it's evolved a lot, but I've, I've come to realize how important the KPIs on the field are, the transfer, the, the, the meetings with the technical staff and our player development assessment really are to drive these certain things. The, it can't just be, okay, it's strength, it's power, it's elastic strength, and then maybe it's special development exercises, okay? Yeah, for some guys, but you know what? Until I know every single thing of each of these guys, then we're just guessing. So for me, it's also been really important that I understand for each guy, like our hitters, I understand all their bat sensor data. So pre-contact, post-contact, bat speed, time to impact, all these different things. I run the KVS for the guys. Like, I can't really do the best job impacting transfer if I don't understand what all the metrics are and all these factors are out in the field, right? Yeah, no doubt. And I think that there's good and bad to being able to peel back more and more layers of the onion to be able to see more and more in depth of what they're doing. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it, it can make uh, can make it more burdensome at times, and, and you can start to question some things as well. Um, but I think we've done the best job possible to simplify all these different inputs. Uh, and I'm fortunate here, too, having a lot of help. Uh, so having baseball, which is a, a, a sport that requires a lot of time and effort, but also being a director and be able to get interns to help out, has certainly helped us in that process an awful lot. So now how is that process and this development of this comprehensive, like career-based plan for these guys, how is that sort of melted out into the other teams you get to work with? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So uh, baseball, probably the furthest along and really just the reason being is number of exposures right? Is those guys are, we're in the weight room year round, even in season, we're training really three times a week. And then the guys who aren't in the starting lineup, I'm getting them five days between different sprint and lifting work. Uh, so just number of exposures allows yourself to develop more skill in the physical preparation exercises, right? So on the flip side for soccer, uh, which both are definitely skill-based sports, but I'd say soccer has an even uh, larger skill component uh well maybe the physical isn't quite as much as it is in baseball so the model simplified so any good model should be should have scalability right okay so for us it's still ground zero it's developmental one but our developmental one thresholds tend to be a lot lower from a relative strength output and looking at some of those things and then really we don't move beyond developmental two right so i can only impact output um, on a soccer field, not quite to the same scale that I can baseball is whether it be a exit velocity and hitter or pitching velocity with a pitcher, you know, soccer, obviously we can vertical jump, sprint speed, uh, some are aerobic capacity tests, things like that, but there isn't quite as much room, um, 
and they're, the transfer isn't always there, right? And sometimes too, you spend too much time trying to chase, chase that general physical adaptation in soccer when really they'd be better off spending more time in the skill adaptation, right? So the model scale down, the thresholds for relative strength, those types of things are certainly lower. Uh, and really it's just kind of three blocks for us, ground zero, developmental one, developmental two for soccer. And a lot of our guys live in developmental one for most of their career just because we don't get as many exposures in the weight room, right? So and the other thing I'll say too is, you know, with our with the blocks is they're not governing laws, but guidelines, right? In terms of our relative strength numbers and things like that. So there's all those other factors that go into it. No, I dig that. And I think that really the most important part of that is understanding that you're building models with the idea of a them ever being evolving and b the necessity of them being scalable across multiple sports yeah certainly and that you know i just gave examples of those two but same thing with track and i've had track here uh for a long time i had them handed them off a, a good few years ago but again similar thoughts different thresholds other factors that we consider um but again you know Ground zero, developmental one, and then for certain sports, we get into development to a, a sport like, uh, you know, women's tennis, you know, a lot of times they don't move beyond that developmental one. Um, and looking at all different factors, too, if I just break down like track and I look at the men's, when men's sprints versus the women's sprints is generally the women tend to be uh, their strength impacts their technique a little bit more because without training background is they don't have the same power output. So they live in developmental one a little bit longer than the guys. So relative strength work, in my experience with the female sprinters, we can go to that well for a lot longer than we generally can with the guys to where we start to see diminishing returns. So it's that kind of empirical evidence and experience kind of helps helps kind of set those things up and and me helping out the rest of my staff work through these models as well yeah and you know you also brought up the idea that it's something that you're able to do because you're lucky to have a a good sized staff and a really solid internship department yeah certainly um so and you know it's also important from a centralization standpoint of our department from nomenclature and progression and, and things of these nature because yes, we do have a fairly large staff, but Jay, as you well know, in the Olympic sports is uh, everybody's overworked and underpaid, right? So our job as directors are to facilitate our staff and help them get better positions to move on. So, you know, I'm gonna, in a general, in a, every year, lose one or two assistants or, or GAs. So we have to centralize that despite having, you know, enough staff to dive deep to these things. So we can kind of plug and play uh, staff members, but the, the system itself, the nomenclature stays the same, it evolves. But um, if everybody just kind of goes rogue is we don't have that ability to scale the model. Yeah, and I think that that's something, I mean, I've, I've chirped about this enough, but like common vernacular is vital, especially like when you're trying to do what you guys are doing. Because if you're trying to do that, not just within a department, but now outside, right? If you're communicating 
any sort of information and you're saying something differently than your assistant or your athletic trainer or the nutrition, whatever it is, it's not going to work. Yeah, no, for sure. That's, that's tremendously important for us is, you know, as everybody moves towards some, some manner of a high performance model is, is the vernacular, the nomenclature really important for our conversations also with the, with sport coaches as well too. So a lot of things like we do with men's women's soccer mirror each other to a certain degree is uh, that's the other important, important thing for me as a director is as I do have a new staff member come on is that language has to stay the same to help keep that relationship with the sport coach and allow them to trust, Hey, this new person that comes in, we're not going to get a, a seismic seismic shift in what we're doing. Uh, it's going to be largely the same thing. This person will get their feet wet. Then they'll start to kind of evolve uh, the model we have in place for what we're doing with that sport. So then I guess the next question I have to ask with that is how openly is that evolution when it comes to new people? Because I think that that, when you come into a new situation like that, especially because it's more often than not going to be a younger coach, that can be intimidating. And that can be hard when things are set up. So how, how long do you typically see that it takes them to comprehend what you guys have built and then bring a positive insight to it? That probably sounds bad, but I think you know what I'm trying to get. No, that's a good question is, so really, I think, uh, one thing is in an ideal world, say I'm hiring an assistant. Uh, it was a former GA that knows the system that went out, gained a few more experiences, then came back. So uh, a little easier learning curve. They've, they've had new experiences, some new perspective that they can add in. Or the other bit is just what our, our vetting process is with assistants that we're hiring. So we just hired one of your guys a few months ago, did an awesome job, super sharp. Uh, Mike Thompson. So uh, we felt really good about him and man, he picked things up super quick. Uh, so really it's our evaluation in terms of bringing new people in. Uh, and then, you know, for the most part, we like to bring somebody that has some background in the program because we do do things and centralize a lot of what we're doing that helps it. Um, but if we do a good job, uh, selecting assistants and, and are thorough in that process, usually over the course of a couple months. And then the other thing too, it's my duty as a director to be transparent with that is, Hey, you know, for the first month or two, kind of, you know, this is, this is the playbook. This is what we're going to be following. Okay. This will help build your relationship with the sport coaches. Uh, just kind of follow my lead for these two months. Then from here, we're going to keep building it and you're going to start to uh, put your own impression on what we're doing. Yeah, and I really like the idea where possible of having GAs that go out and come back because they A, understand what you're doing and B, have seen it in a different sense, in a different way and in a different area with different people who at a different location with uh, everything changed. So they have a different perspective as to where some possible improvements could come from. 
Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's something I, I actively pursue just being aware of myself and being here shoot going on about to be going on the 16th year is, is I have to surround myself with some people that have had some other experiences and ideas uh, to continue to help me out in the, the evolution and refining of what we do. So um, it's nice having to bring somebody back because I'm particular with certain things. Um, and it's just, it's just good to understand, um, you know, how demanding I'm going to be with things. But uh, the ideal situation, somebody who's been in but has left for a few years, been a couple different spots, and really can kind of bring some perspective back and ideas for us to get better moving forward. Yeah, because that's really important. And I think, you know, because people who have been in the same spot, you know, you've been down there for 14 years now? 13 yeah, years now? Year 15, going on six. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I've been here since 04 so that's almost longer than our freshmen have been alive you know like <laughs> it's it's really easy to get stuck in your room and get stuck yeah. in your groove so having people that can come back and they understand what's important to you but also can see you know maybe where there are a couple small potholes growing in the road and help yeah. you fix those that's priceless, bro. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I tell my staff, um, you know, there's certain things you're in any situation for a long time where you, you naturally get a little tired or complacent of, and I, and some of those responsibilities and things I really try and delegate to the rest of my staff and give them an opportunity to grow and, and evolve what we're doing. And, and I really try and surround myself and center my my efforts in stuff that really stimulates me nowadays that's what's going to keep me from from getting complacent and being in one spot for a long time yeah and another thing that you've done really well with that is the, the continuing education stuff that you guys do you have your your kind of like inner circle like meetings and things of that nature and, and you know it shows with the development and the coaches that you put out no, yeah, I appreciate that. I think that's um, one of my strengths has always been creative thinking and and putting time in the continuing education and, and finding kind of innovative ways to integrate all that. But on the flip side, I struggle from sometimes organizational thought. Too, too creative in thought, need to be reeled in sometimes. So um, I've always pushed that upon everybody that's come through the program and understanding the importance of it. Um, and really this year we, we came up with an interesting idea. We did a, a Clemson family seminar. So all of our former staff, uh, we put together a little, uh, virtual seminar for them and all the speakers were former staff. So also good opportunity for some of our, um, our coaches that just left the program, a, a first opportunity to speak at some type of formal setting. Um, so it was really good from that standpoint. Also, you know, as tough financially for a lot of people right now during the COVID areas is having an opportunity to seek some continuing education without having to pay for anything. So uh, something me and the staff here wanted to do to give back to everybody that's contributed because you have had a lot of people come through and um, I know I'm, I can be a tough SOB sometimes. So uh, just thinking of good ways to give back to the staff uh, and then now we're starting to put up the videos on our, our Instagram page for the general public to see uh, as a resource. And 
hope to build it out more next year. Hopefully do a two day format plan for a little bit more and bring a couple outside speakers in, but again, just, it'll be free content to help our staff and former staff out immediately. And then, and then again, make it open and available to everybody else. It's um, something that's always been, I guess myself, I was a history major in college and just naturally been really inquisitive and want to understand the why behind everything and just tried to uh, impress that upon everybody that's come to the program. I'll go off on one quick tangent here, Jay, as I remember being a young strength coach and going to CSCCA uh, seminar and you kind of had this dichotomy of meatheads who would make fun of the nerds and the nerds who'd make fun of the meatheads. And I always thought, why couldn't we have, you know, strength conditioning professionals, performance coaches who could meet somewhere in the middle, right? Who could be intellectually stimulated and thought provoking and at the same time be a badass and demand a lot of things out of their athletes and be able to motivate groups and stuff like that. So um, I don't know if I do a good job of it, but I try to, uh, and that's something I've always tried to make, uh, important to everybody that's come through our program as a staff member as well. Yeah. And I think that on top of that too, you guys are sharing a lot of good stuff and, you know, putting out good content and trying to help people grow. And at the end of the day, I mean, that's really all that there is to it is, how can we drive better conversations to make people better? And yeah, I'll, I'll leave my thoughts to those sort of t-shirt debates to myself. <laughs> I think that we've all probably had those conversations enough at the seminar when we used to be able to sit down with people. But yeah, I think you guys are doing great. And the things you're sharing, not just with the stuff that you put together with that, the discussion panel and the forum with your, with your former employees but just the the regular content it's super helpful oh yeah thank you jay appreciate it something uh something that's important to us an opportunity to give back and then also you know to be honest we use it as a recruiting tool as well to help build our our internship program and help attract uh, uh motivated young professionals into our program well then let me get you out here with this rick where can people see more with it where can they keep up with you where can they keep track of all that stuff and and make sure they're following all that yeah uh let's see best would be our instagram page which is clemson ollie strength uh and then i actually did join the twitter uh universe back uh during covid uh so i believe it's at franz blau rick uh I try and put some put some educational content up there uh, a couple times a month if i can get to it and then also email. I'm, I'm most of the time pretty good about emailing back. Listen, man, I truly appreciate your time today. This is fantastic stuff. It's great to see you. I'm glad you're doing well, brother. And we'll be in touch soon. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Cheers.